Well, hello, welcome everyone. Um, I get the honor to read our scripture for today from the book of John. And before I do that, I just want to share how grateful I am for to know that God loves me this much, that he loves us this much, that he was willing to send his one and only son to die for us to have eternal life. So if you can go with me to John 3, verses um, 3 to 1 to 17. I'm going to read it from the NIV version. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're already old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I've sp I, I believe I have spoken of earthly things and you do not believe. How can I speak of heavenly things? No one has come into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And for that we say thank you, Jesus, and amen. I was telling a many this, this morning who read the text that you know, the scriptures don't tell us a ton about what we must do when we gather together as a church, and yet, the Apostle Paul does say, do not neglect the public reading of the word. And we believe that God, that God speaks through his word. And some of us who are here today, you don't need anything of what I'm about to say in the explanation of the word. You need a word from the Lord through the text of scripture from John chapter 3. So we're going to take our time to explain a little bit of what's going on in this passage. This is a familiar passage to many of us. How many of you have ever heard of John 3.16 before? Okay, maybe you've been to a basketball game or been to church before, John 3.16. 
Last week I gave the homework assignment as we started this series for those of you who wanted to do it, to read John chapter one or even the whole book of John and look for concepts related to seeing, light and darkness, illumination, blindness and sight. And if you did that, you were probably blown away with a lot of things you may have never seen before, but they're in there. They're in the text right there in plain sight. You know, there's something about human nature where sometimes we have a hard time seeing things that are right in front of our eyes. I think it was Lindsay who talked about this a couple years ago at a church that some people can see the world through mom eyes and some of us cannot, right? And so that was me as a kid. I'd go to the fridge and be like, mom, right? Where's the pizza? And she would say, it's right in front of you. It's not here. And then she'd come and she'd say, here it is, it's right in front of you. And there's a medical uh, term called scotoma where we actually have like a blind spot. And some of you are thinking, well maybe my spouse has a scotoma, maybe my kids have a scotoma. Maybe there's a, a medical issue where they can't actually see. There's a part of them that's blind to how dirty their room is. They're blind to where the mustard lives in the fridge. There's actually a concept called a psychological scotoma, which is uh, the, this concept that even though most of us can actually see with our eyes, there are some things that we just can't see, even though it's right in front of us. We can't see it. Tony Robbins wrote a book on this uh, a few years back where he said some of us can't see opportunities right in front of our eyes. Some of us can't see potential we have inside ourselves. Some of us can't make a good decision even though it's right in front of us. We are blind to things in the world around us even though it's right there. Like the carton of milk, it's right there. But we can't see it. This relates a little bit to to faith and practice. There was a a scientific study by a man named Gerhard Adam. He wrote a book called Science, Faith, and Belief Systems. And he said that every human being has a belief system that they utilize. And it's through this mechanism that we individually make sense of the world around us. That we have this way of seeing and through the filter of how we see, what we believe, we actually see the world. Now, some of you see the world very differently than the rest of your family. You see the COVID-19 pandemic very differently than someone in your small group. You see the data differently than someone else looking at it. You see the safety protocols in our world differently than people you know. You see the world differently because you have some kind of belief system that's different than theirs. And so you look at the same data. You hear the same speech by Gavin Newsom. You see the same events on the TV and yet you see them differently because you have a different belief system. Some of us see the world differently than others because of our Christian belief system. Because of our faith in Christ, we understand the world differently. We see things differently. Like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we no longer see people through a worldly point of view. We see people through whether they're in Christ, Paul says, or not. We see the world differently because of our faith. And because of our faith, there are some things that we can see And there are some things that we can't see. This is a a human phenomenon. So as we start the series today called Can You See It? I want to start by bringing up the question of what happens when the thing that you can't see is Jesus? What happens when you're part of a community, when other people claim to know God and see God, and you're thinking, I just don't see what you guys can see? 
Ever had a season like that where someone's talking to you about how real God is to them, how God answers their prayers, that when they're praying, they're talking to God, and it's like they're face to face, and you think, okay, you see God in a way that I can't see him. Some of us feel like we're like the blind man in the Gospels who got some sight, but it was still kind of hazy, and it hadn't fully opened his eyes, yet we kind of see Jesus, At the same time, there are seasons in our life, there are moments in our life, there are situations in our life where it just feels like we just can't see God at all. And we go through whole weeks and we think, man, I I told myself when I was at church on Sunday that this week would be different, that I was going to approach God in the text of scripture every day, that I was going to pray, that I was going to walk with him like I would walk with a friend, that I would treat him like someone that I could see with my eyes in real life. And yet this whole week has gone by and I didn't even get a glimpse of the Lord this week. I just haven't seen Jesus. In this text that we read today, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and and he starts with this concept that he's saying, "I, I, I think I can see who you are. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could do the miraculous signs that you are doing unless God was with them. He makes this claim, Jesus, we can see who you are. And yet Jesus looks back at this religious leader in the face and he says, I I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You know, this is a familiar passage. John 3.16, you know, is a familiar verse. And I know most of the time we're thinking about, okay, this is us before we were Christians. We were blind, but now we see. And, And really that is what Jesus is talking about is when the Spirit first comes to us and opens our eyes for the first time of the reality of who Jesus is. And maybe you're here today or you're watching online today and you don't know Jesus. And what God has brought you to this church service for is to open your spiritual eyes for the first time to the reality of God and who he is and what Christ has done for you. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. And yet there's some other of us in this room who think, okay, so this doesn't apply to me because I've been to church forever. This message is not for me. This is for people who don't know Christ, and I do. And yet, maybe, right? But before you get too much in, like, snooze mode, let me just remind you that this man who came to Jesus thought he could see. This man who came to Jesus was a religious leader. This man who came to Jesus had studied the text of Scripture his whole life in an effort to be able to recognize the Messiah when he came. And when this man who had spent his life devoted to the Bible and its study sat face to face with Jesus Christ, he couldn't see him. So there's a chance that you've been in the church for a long, long time. And like Nicodemus, you think you can see Jesus, but you can't. So let's take some time as we look at this text to ask how, ask how God might open our eyes to who he is through the work of the Spirit, through the lens of John chapter 3. I'm going to give you three things that you can write down today that we see in this text, just basic observations. And so write them down if you're a writer down or person, right? First thing is this, that when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's in the dark when it comes to spiritual things. He's in the dark when it comes to spiritual things. I use this phrase, in the dark, on purpose. And if you studied the book of John this week and you did the homework, you know why I use this phrase, because there's something about John bringing out this concept of people being in the dark. I thought about having everybody raise their hand if you were scared of the dark, but I got kind of nervous because I thought, I bet most people are going to lie, because I would guess that most of us are actually scared of the dark at some level. 
Like I'm almost 40 years old. This is a little confession time. Almost 40 years old. That's not the confession. The confession is that late at night when the kids are in bed and I close the door and I lock the front door and I'm closing down the house and I go kind of through the house to make sure everything's secure and I end up like in our downstairs den. Sometimes I look out through the sliding glass door and it's just darkness in the backyard and this fear starts to come over me. Right? And it's an irrational fear because it's a fear that an alien's going to be out there or a fear that a murderer that I saw in a movie is going to be out there or a fear that a burglar is going to be lurking in my backyard or that some monster is going to be scaring at me. But no matter what it is, it's this fear grips me and my heart starts beating and I get this thought that like I need to get upstairs to my bedroom as quickly as possible because that's where I'm safe, right? Because if there's an alien in my backyard, he can't get me in my room, right? Where it's like, so I'm, I'm like... I'm a 40-year-old man, and I'm running up the stairs as fast as I can, telling myself, this is crazy, it's not a thing, get to your room before you die, right? That's what's happening in my heart. Because there's something in me that's scared of the dark. It represents the unknown. It represents what I cannot see. I told the 11 o'clock service, I think, last week, that my, one of my, both of my daughters turned six last week, they're twins, and one of them, all she wanted for her birthday was a balloon, a flashlight, and an alarm clock. I don't know why she wanted a balloon, but that was a cheap gift. Uh, but she, she told me she wanted a flashlight because sometimes she has bad dreams and she wakes up in the night and she's scared and she wants to illuminate the darkness. She didn't say, say it that way, but illuminate the darkness. And she wants an alarm clock so that, when, so that she can know when she's allowed to leave her room and re-engage with the world in the morning and get out of that scary dark place, right? And our house is not a scary place. She doesn't live in a dungeon. But for her, as a six-year-old kid, she's scared of the dark. And Nicodemus was in the dark when it comes to spiritual things. There's a bunch of different reasons that we know that Nicodemus was totally in the dark in this passage. Number one, John's use of light and darkness in his book is very intentional all the time. This is why I had you do that homework last week. Nicodemus, it says, comes to Jesus at night. And it's supposed to be this clue that that he's in the dark, that some, some light bulb has not turned on in his mind yet. Right, sure, he was a religious leader. He didn't want to be seen in the light of day with Jesus, kind of like the woman at the well coming to Jesus at a time that no one else was in the next chapter. But John uses this concept of darkness in his book to show when people don't comprehend Jesus for what he really is. Right in John chapter 11, that's the chapter where Lazarus is raised from the dead. Jesus talks about that when we walk around at night, we stumble because we walk in darkness. And it's this metaphor for people whose spiritual eyes are closed to the spiritual things. John chapter 13, when Jesus has the Last Supper, Judas takes a piece of bread and he walks out and betrays Jesus. He goes out into the darkness and Jesus says, and it was night in John chapter 13. In John chapter 21, after the resurrection, right, Jesus goes through the dark night of the soul in Gethsemane. He's crucified. The world becomes dark in the middle of the crucifixion. He raises from the grave on Easter Sunday at the dawn of a new day, right, all light and dark imagery. And then he takes his disciples fishing, and they still don't know who he was at that time. And in John 21, John tells us that Jesus took his disciples fishing at night, because the light bulb hadn't turned on in their minds yet. And so we see Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in the dark about spiritual things. And you don't have to believe my Johannine symbolism. I'll give you a couple other reasons that we know he's in the dark. One, the way he treats Jesus. He starts this, this conversation with Jesus by saying, Rabbi, we know 
that you've been sent from God. Did you hear that in the text? Rabbi, we know that word rabbi. Commentators say he's not using the word rabbi as a term of endearment. He's using it to throw some shade at Jesus to say, hey, rabbi, right? Jesus was not a rabbi. He didn't go to biblical education like Nicodemus did. He wasn't part of the religious leadership community like Nicodemus was. He wasn't someone whose opinion mattered like Nicodemus and his friends did. That's why he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a prophet sent from God, right? We know, we have evaluated you and we are kind of thinking about giving you the stamp of approval. If you sit face to face with Jesus and you say, Jesus, just so you know, I think you're okay, right? You're in the dark. Jesus is the one who evaluates us. He's the one we'll stand before on judgment day. We don't evaluate him, but Nicodemus doesn't know what he's talking about. He's in the dark. But the conversation that they have together shows us that Nicodemus was in the dark. He just seems so confused. Jesus is talking about being born again. And he says, surely I don't need to go back into my mother's womb. And we're thinking, Nicodemus, how are you so lost in this conversation? Jesus finally ends it by saying, you're Israel's teacher. How do you not understand these things? Why has the light bulb not turned on in you yet? Why are you still in the dark? When Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's in the dark when it comes to spiritual things. Which begs the question, how can you sit face to face with Jesus and have no idea who you're talking to? Nicodemus was not just sitting in some upper room talking about Jesus. He was sitting there face to face with the Messiah, the chosen one, God in human flesh. And it's like he was blind to who Jesus really was. As I was thinking about this concept this week, I was thinking about church ministry life. Maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes I find myself, maybe you found yourself in a small group with people, various different levels of connection with the church, right? People grew up in the church, people who are brand new to church, right? They're all coming to the same small group at somebody's house or on Zoom, wherever it is, right? You're having this small group meeting together, and every once in a while, if you stick around in small groups long enough, you'll probably see this. Don't become a judgmental person, but you'll probably see this. Someone joins your small group, and they know all the Bible answers, and they've been reading the scriptures their whole life, and they talk about how they grew up in Sunday school. They talk about how they've always known the Lord, but as long, the longer that you get to know them, the more you start thinking, I don't know if this person is actually a Christian. I don't think they get it. But the way they talk about Jesus is, is like someone who doesn't really know Jesus. Some of the things that they say make you feel like, I don't know if you really get what we're all about here. And yet they grew up in the church. They know the Bible. Sometimes they've memorized large portions of it. And they're talking about the scriptures in a way that you think, how have you read all that? But you obviously don't actually know Jesus. Has that ever happened to you? I'm not saying if it hasn't happened to you, it is you. It's not one of those kind of (laughs) illustrations. You know, this happens to me all the time as a pastor when I do counseling with folks, right? I do pastoral counseling, marriage counseling, premarital counseling, spiritual counseling, and I I usually devote the entire first meeting, if you've ever had counseling with me, I'm sorry, I'm telling you this now, I usually devote the entire first meeting to me doing my best to do the diligence to discern if the person is truly a believer or not, because they always say they are. I have yet to meet with someone who's like, Pastor, can we meet? And I say, are you a Christian? Like, oh, actually, no, right? It's always yes. That's the Sunday school answer. That's I'm sitting in the pastor's office. Answer, yes. And so then I ask them some questions about their testimony. 
about their relationship with the Lord, about their understanding of the faith. I talk about their experiences with Jesus walking through life. And a lot of times I realize, okay, this person seems to be a true believer. But other times, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, man, I, I think this person's in the dark. Right? And whether they're a Christian or not desperately affects the pathway that we go as we do Christian counseling together. Because Christian counseling doesn't work if you're not a Christian, right? In the sense that, that I'm doing that with folks. I'm not going to help you to grow in your relationship with the Lord if you don't have a relationship with the Lord. But it's so hard sometimes because people are sitting there and they think they've been illuminated. But everything about the way they present themselves and talk about the Lord and talk about these things, it just feels like they're still in the darkness and no one's turned the light bulb on for them yet. This is Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus and he's in the dark when it comes to spiritual things. And so Jesus comes back to Nicodemus. This is point number two. If you want to write things down, we'll put it on the screen. Jesus comes to Nicodemus and he tells him that we are all spiritually blind until God gives us eyes to see. We're all spiritually blind until God gives us eyes to see. He kind of describes it like blind folks in the New Testament who receive sight miraculously. It's almost the same way, that there's nothing you can do to open your eyes spiritually. It's a work of the Spirit. Right? When Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you've been sent from God, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And then he says in verse 5, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born by water and of the Spirit. When you see this phrase, very truly I tell you in the Bible, it's like this hint, not really a hint, but it's just a command, right? That you should like underline it, bold it, highlight it. It's it's the author of that text trying to say, what I'm about to say is very, very, very important. And the thing that, that Jesus tells Nicodemus is that is very important is that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Right, Nicodemus is stressed because he's like, wait, do I have to go back in time and be born again? Jesus, that's not, I'm not talking about going back and starting over. I'm talking about a second type of birth that needs to come to you, that you are physically alive, Nicodemus, but you're spiritually, you're spiritually dead. That you're born of the water and of the spirit. Right? Flesh gives birth to flesh. Your mom gave birth to you. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. The Holy Spirit gives birth to your spiritual reality. That you may be walking this world, Nicodemus, and you can physically see, but you can't spiritually see. You are physically alive, but you are not yet spiritually alive. You don't have to go back in time and live life a different way. You need something to happen in your life where the Spirit comes in and gives you spiritual sight. Now, this is a really important point, especially if you're new to church or you're trying to figure out how to grow in your relationship with Christ. This is like a bonus one. It's not one of those three points, but write this one down. Jesus is not primarily concerned with making bad people good, but Jesus is primarily concerned with making dead people alive. That's what he's talking about to Nicodemus. He's not saying, Nicodemus, go back in time and start over and live a better way, right? Which is the, the kind of the condition of our hearts most of the time. Like, oh no, I've messed up this life. I'm not living properly. I wish I could go back in time and start over and please God in the way that I'm living this time. Jesus is not concerned with making Nicodemus good. Nicodemus is a pretty good guy. Jesus was concerned primarily with making dead Nicodemus live Nicodemus. You don't have to go back in time and start over. You need a second kind of birth to come into you and illuminate you 
flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. The truth is, if you're someone who can't see Jesus, there's a great chance that the reason you can't see him is because you've never received spiritual life. You've never had that moment where the spirit came upon you and opened your spiritual eyes to see. You haven't had that moment, like when you were physically born, the baby comes into the world, takes its first breath, and is alive from that moment. You haven't had that happen to you yet spiritually. There's a chance you're in the church, and you've been here a long time, and you've been learning things with your physical mind. You've been studying the scriptures. You've been using your brain to memorize it. And yet a work of the spirit has not yet happened in your heart And so even though you're physically alive, and maybe you're mentally alive to the things of Christianity, you're still spiritually like Nicodemus, dead, dead in your sin, dead without the illuminating power of the Spirit giving you eyes to see who Jesus really is. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. There's a little bit of a lament when you read this passage or this helplessness a little bit because if Nicodemus couldn't figure this out, how can we figure this out? I said before, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He spent his life studying these things. And this stuff that Jesus is talking about and Jesus and who he was was all over the scriptures that Nicodemus studied. Even this concept of being spiritually born is all over the message of the prophets in the Old Testament. Think of Ezekiel chapter 11 that talks about when the Messiah comes, what God will do is he will take out their hearts of stone and replace them with a heart of flesh. He says he'll put a new spirit in us so that we will have an undivided heart. When Messiah comes, that's what he's going to do. And that's what Jesus is claiming he's going to do. Or Ezekiel 37, it's the valley of dry bones. God says to Ezekiel, go and command that these dry bones live. And so Ezekiel commands that the dry bones live and these bones come up and God puts flesh on them. But God says in Ezekiel 37, but the bones did not yet have have life until the spirit came. And it's this idea that you have to be born of water and of spirit before you're truly alive. Even Nicodemus and his partners in theological work, they knew this. They they would talk about Gentiles who converted into the faith as newborn babies who were born spiritually for the first time. They had these practices of ritual washings and baptisms to remind them of the need for cleansing and a freshness of the spirit to come into them because the Old Testament pointed to the fact that God wanted to come and do something new. He should have got it. He studied the word. He talked about these things. Him and his buddies sat around and evaluated Jesus. They said, okay, he did miracles. They saw them. He must be someone important. But he couldn't see it. And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things? (laughs) You must not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. Why are you surprised? Yes. Nicodemus is surprised because he's spiritually dead. He does not have sight. And yet part of Nicodemus' problem is that he doesn't think that Jesus' words are talking about him, right? which is a common problem. We all think we're good. We all think we can see. Right? I think of John chapter 9, verse 41. Jesus says, if you were blind, you would still be guilty of sin, or you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Nicodemus, and some of us claim that we can see, and maybe we don't even know that we're spiritually blind. 
And Jesus is, Nicodemus is talking in generalities, right? Me and my cohort, we know who you are, and you seem like a godly guy. Let's have a little conversation. And yet Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. You, Nicodemus, not people, not individuals, not pagans, not Gentiles, not sinners. You, you must be born again. Have you been born again? Have you had an experience in your life where the Spirit has come into you and given you eyes to see Jesus? Do do you see him at work around you? Do you understand the gospel? Do you sense spiritual things because the Spirit has opened your heart and your mind to the reality of Jesus? Are you still blind? Are you still dead in your sin? Has there been part of you that has not yet been awakened Because the spiritual part of you has not been given life by the Lord yet. That's where Nicodemus was. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. That's why I love what what Jesus does next. And Jesus kind of turns the corner a little bit in the conversation. In verse 14, you can look look in there. Uh, We see that that Jesus, first of all, that Nicodemus is in the dark when it comes to spiritual things. Second, we see that Jesus tells him that no one can see unless he's born again. And the third thing that we see as we look at this text is that Jesus shares the gospel with Nicodemus and calls him to respond in faith. He says it this way. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, Jesus shares the gospel with Nicodemus and calls him to respond in faith. Right? The snake thing is from Numbers chapter 21. It's an Old Testament story where Moses and the people are in the wilderness and the people have sinned. They've turned their backs on God. God has brought punishment for their sin. Snakes, poisonous snakes. It's like an Indiana Jones worst nightmare. Poisonous snakes come out and bite all the people. Now they're dying of these snake bites in the wilderness. And God goes to Moses and says, Moses, I want to give you a remedy for the death and sin of these people. He says, fashion a snake out of bronze and place it on a pole and hold it in the air, high and lift it up. And tell the people, if you'll merely turn and gaze upon this snake, if you look at the snake on the pole, you will live. But if you refuse to look at the snake high and lifted up, you will die from this venom. You'll die in your sin. And Jesus comes and says, remember that story where people were dying, they were languishing, they were suffering, and all they had to do was look at the snake on the pole? He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And we know that Jesus was foreshadowing his death, being lifted up on the cross. Say, Nicodemus, if you can't see who I am, if you don't really understand spiritual things, if you, you can't get it, you can't do it on your own. You can't force yourself to believe, but in a while, the Son of Man will be lifted up And if you turn your gaze to him, if you look to the crucified Savior, if you fix your eyes on the one who is dying for your sins, if you look at him, you will experience healing and life and vitality. He gives Nicodemus this principle that that I'm sure he couldn't understand until later that the remedy to spiritual blindness is fixing our eyes on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know it later as the gospel message. 
And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who are perishing. That this message about Jesus who was lifted up for our sins, Jesus who was buried in the ground, Jesus who rose on Easter Sunday to give life to all who believes, Jesus who was lifted up into the heavenly places, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, that Jesus, when you hear that story and turn to him in faith, the scales fall off of your eyes and the spirit comes into your life and you receive sight for the first time spiritually by fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. If you're thinking today, well, how do you do that? I'll give you two ways you could do that. Number one, accept the reality of your spiritual blindness. Just for a minute, I don't wanna make you do this for a minute, but accept the reality of your spiritual blindness. I watched a TED talk this, this week by Margaret Heffernan talking about this concept of willful blindness. She was talking about miners in a country in the, I think it was in Montana, in the region of Montana, and these miners were all getting cancer. Everyone in their family were getting these cancers from mining, and as much as she and these other researchers were trying to show them that they were dying because of their trade, no one would believe her because they didn't want to accept the reality that them and their children and their grandchildren were at risk, and so they were willfully blind because the truth was too painful. I think one of the greatest laments of church is that many of us are spiritually blind because we're too scared to face the truth that we're spiritually blind. So just for a minute today, accept the reality that if you can't see Jesus, it might be because you are spiritually blind. You can't see because that part of you has not been given life yet. Accept the reality of your spiritual blindness. And then number two, turn to Christ in faith and you will receive healing life insight. I said you only had to accept your blindness for a minute, right? Here's step two, turn to Christ in faith. Look to the one who was crucified for your sins. Look to the one who rose from the grave to give life to all who believes. Look to the one who ascended into the heavenly places and rules and reigns for all eternity from that place. Turn to Christ even now and the spirit will give you life. You might be thinking, well, you told me before, I can't do that unless the spirit doesn't work in me. That is true, but here's the beautiful news. If God is working in you right now, and you're realizing, I need Jesus, I need this gospel, I need spiritual sight, that is an indication that the Spirit is already at work in you, and so now your responsibility is to use this life he's giving you to turn to Jesus in faith and find healing, find hope, find illumination. And we follow the Nicodemus story through the book of John, and we see that he kind of starts to get it kind of slowly. We see him ask some questions later in the book that we're kind of wondering, is he still, is he following Jesus now? Is, is he become a disciple? And yet Nicodemus doesn't really turn the corner until after the crucifixion, until after Jesus is high and lifted up. And apparently Nicodemus saw it with his own eyes, like Jesus told him to look at him. And after the crucifixion, Nicodemus is the one that with Joseph of Arimathea, goes and says, hey, we want to we take the body of Jesus and give it a proper burial. So Nicodemus is the one who's looking at the crucified Christ, preparing his body for burial. And then Nicodemus was blown away, I'm sure, three days later when Jesus stepped out of that grave, left those burial clothes that Nicodemus had wrapped him in behind. He saw it. If you are someone who doesn't see Jesus, maybe it starts with prayer. Maybe today's a day that, that if you're here, you go out to the prayer room after the service and, and let someone pray with you. If you're online, you click that prayer button and talk to someone and say, I need spiritual sight. I don't have it. How do I get it? 
Maybe you're someone who's saying, well, I I do actually see. I I can see Jesus, but it's hazy. I can see Jesus sometimes, but I wish my thought was clearer. I can see Jesus, but it feels like there's these things in my life that blind me all the time. Sometimes I hear his voice, but I don't know how to follow him. If that's you, that's what the rest of the series is going to be about. Learning how to sharpen our focus. Learning how to see him more clearly. Learning how to walk with him and hear his voice and keep in step with the spirit as we've been talking about. So that our sight becomes sharper and sharper as the Spirit does his work more deeply and deeply in us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond with some worship. Let's pray together.